Welcome back to The Chillcast, a healthcare podcast from Chillmark Research, helping healthcare leaders make the best decisions for the populations they serve. Welcome back to The Chillcast. I am the managing partner of Chillmark Research and your host today, John Moore III. Today, we are excited to introduce a new mini-series as part of The Chillcast, delving into how different healthcare industry stakeholders think about assessing the value of digital health and health IT implementations. This session, we're going to be introducing a core group of us that have convened to actually develop what we are calling the Health Impact Project, which we convened earlier this year with Pam Arlotto and Susan Irby from Maestro Strategies, Curtis Peterson of Kingfisher Advising, and Marie Kopoulos of Horta Health. The reason that we came together is that we have all heard ad nauseum over the last couple of years how important it is for new technologies to show efficacy in the current economic climate. So we decided that it was time to come up with a better metric for evaluating the impact of technology than a standard oversimplified financial calculation like ROI. This series is intended to catalyze industry conversations we see as necessary to reach consensus on a new model of value that C-suites at care organizations, payers, technology developers, investment firms, and more can apply to their own initiatives in healthcare. So we're going to start today by going into what brought each of us to this project. So I'll begin by introducing Marie Kopoulos. You want to take it away, Marie? Thanks for having me, John. Um, I'm here representing a couple vantage points. I got into value-based care when it was words on a piece of paper um, and quickly realized that data was going to go hand in hand in that. And so spent my whole career in alternative payment models and in building the analytics and data teams that go along with it. So I've been in the trenches of this, both analyzing policy, building teams, um, helping organizations see value from the investments that they've made in that space. Um, But I also come to it as somebody who's just very passionate about um, making sure we get value from healthcare. Um, There are people in my life for whom I am a patient advocate and see firsthand um, how much our system needs to improve. And so I bring those two things to this project to say, you know, how do we make sure that we're getting the most value from the investments that we're making in this space? That's wonderful. Thank you, Marie. Uh, Susan, you want to go next? Sure. Happy to be here. Um, Maestro has actually worked over the last 20 years with literally hundreds of clients, both on the HIP vendor side, as well as healthcare delivery organizations, to identify, plan for, and measure return on investment. And we want to be able to share our successes and failures so we can do a better job of this in the future. Fantastic. And Curtis? Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Such a pleasure to join today. Um, The work that we're doing at Kingfisher Advising cuts across startups, funders, and nonprofits, all primarily in the healthcare space, although sometimes in what I like to call healthcare adjacent spaces, right? So aspects of people's lives that really influence their healthcare, typically thinking about social determinants, housing, food security, and something that I see consistently across all of those actors who approach this from very different vantage points is a desire to really understand, is what we're doing impactful? Is what we are doing meaningfully changing the lives of individual patients? And that is something that we just continue to struggle with. And it's something that we often are talking across one another um, when we look at different actors, right? The way that an investor or a foundation might talk about return on investment or impact is not necessarily the same way that a startup might do that. 
And so this to me feels like a great opportunity to, to bring everybody together and everyone get on the same page. Fantastic. And so for myself, um, Chillmark has been around for over a decade now, and we have been evaluating trends in health IT and technology advancements that entire time, but we've only really focused on capabilities and kind of what's new um, and what's going to be enabled by these technologies. We haven't actually focused as much on the outcomes. And now that this industry is more mature and we've gotten past, you know, 15 years past High Tech Act and there's enough adoption across the entire industry, I've been hearing a lot more conversations about how we actually assess technology, how we actually identify whether or not it is working the way that it should beyond just whether or not the functions are working. And so I'm taking that to heart and I decided that it was time to bring together a group of us to really start tackling how to track outcomes and actually measure the impact of the technologies that we've adopted over the last 15 years. So next up, we want to kind of introduce what the values are that we each bring to this project and you know, why we think that we're a good group to be the crux of this initiative. So gender, uh, so Curtis, let's start with you. Well, I'll just out myself right now as a bleeding heart. Um, I came to this work really through social justice and human rights. So, um, you know, my first career in healthcare was at a center for health and human rights at the TH Chan School, the Harvard School of Public Health. Um, And we were really looking at health systems largely and and quality improvement, trying to understand how they need to function in order to secure access to healthcare for all without barriers based on people's income, education level, you know, any sort of aspect of their identity that could be racial or ethnic, um, employment status. So for me, the reason that I'm continue to be very interested in ROI and how we understand impact is because if we are serious about you know, equitable healthcare. If we are serious about removing barriers to care, we have to have a useful, you know, functional way to measure that pretty consistently. Fantastic. Marie, you want to go next? For sure. Um, you know, I, I think one of the values that I bring to this project is a call for courage and honesty. Um, you know, I think this is an industry where over the past decade, hundreds, right, of vendors have popped up in the space and um, all really trying to help us change care. And I think there have been places where we've made important strides, but there's a disconnect that I feel um, and have felt, right, in on a day-to-day basis over that period where what we're trying to do compared with the various different stakeholders who come to the table to have these conversations from a financial perspective, from a technology perspective, from a care outcome perspective, um, is not sufficiently aligned. And I think that that has been very hard in an industry where everyone wants to declare to success to have a real conversation about, are we succeeding in the ways that we want to? And so I think that, I think it's time to do that, but I also think it's a difficult and courageous conversation for us to have collectively as an industry. I love that. Uh, I definitely appreciate the part about the courage because, you know, some of these conversations are going to be tough to have, but they're important and they're necessary if we're really going to make change in the industry. Susan, how about you? Okay. Um, I do value our health and care delivery system, but it's badly broken. And what I believe I'm bringing to the table is some systems thinking, um, the, the way to develop not good strategies, but great strategies to help our health and care delivery systems and drive change because it does need to be fixed. 
I like that. Yeah. Great strategies are definitely needed. We need to get past good enough. And I think if we're really going to innovate on this industry, then, you know, we really need to make some bold moves. So from my perspective, I think Chillmark is really well known for objectively covering the industry and really telling things the way that we see them based on our analysis and how, you know, we assimilate all the different data points that are coming in, all the different trends that we're watching. So I think that we bring the objectivity to this. Uh, I've always had a public health interest, particularly around mental health personally, but I think that the public health aspect of healthcare technology is really important to make sure that we don't lose track of. All this does tie back to helping the greater good. And a lot of times the public health conversation gets kind of lost in the weeds. And finally, data rights. As we collect more data on patients, as we collect more data on just medical sciences and practitioners, I think that the data rights conversation is going to be very critical to how this industry evolves. Uh, you know, personally, I'm very uncomfortable with the number of BAAs that we don't have any knowledge of when we go to a care organization and we sign our consent form for them to work with their various business associates. Uh, I understand that this is going to happen. I understand that it's business critical for them to work with these other vendors and to share our data to get reimbursed and things like that. But not knowing what that hierarchical kind of branching logic of how the data gets spread and shared actually comes together and what we lose in terms of control over our own autonomy around data rights is something that I'm pretty passionate about these days after seeing how big tech has really violated a lot of privacy with social media and, you know, the more consumer facing side of things. And I want to make sure that that doesn't trickle into healthcare. So moving on to the actual, you know, project here. So one of the reasons why we came together is because all of us have seen this for a number of years and kind of been tracking the value proposition of technology in this industry. So what we've all come to appreciate is that this is very hard in healthcare. So let's riff a little bit on why is this so hard in healthcare? And Susan, I think that you've been in the industry the longest of any of us. So do you want to take the lead on this one? Sure. To me, the reason this is so hard in healthcare is that we talk about ROI and everybody can do a simple calculation on a net present value or internal rate of return or even a payback period. But nobody really plans to actually realize that return. We've worked, as I said, with vendors in healthcare systems. And I'll give you one for instance, and it's not the only one, but we work with a vendor to do a pre and post test on the value of their technology solution. We measured all of the before the impl implementation occurred. And then when we went in for the post test, it turned out that the client was not re realizing any value at all. And it's because they had failed to properly use the technology in the way it was intended. And that is not uncommon. Yeah, that's pretty compelling for sure. I mean, the implementation and change management that has to go into these is pretty paramount to success. I had a really great conversation with John Glazer this week, who will be our first guest speaker as part of this podcast series. And he reminded me that 70% of digital transformation efforts fail. And that is due to five specific you know, factors that go into the success. And so if you guys want to learn more about that, you'll have to listen to that podcast when it's released. But it's a really compelling point that there's a lot that goes into actually realizing the value from this. And a lot of C-suites don't necessarily always make all of the necessary management changes and tweaks to their organizational kind of structure and workflows that they need to, to realize that value. 
Curtis, do you want to contribute to this? Yeah, I'd love to weigh in. One thing that I will tweak or refine about your question, why is this so hard? I want to center us on why is this so hard in the United States healthcare system? I think all of us are primarily working in the U.S. healthcare system. This is where most of us have our experience. This is, you know, the big, large market that most health technology vendors are very interested in. And, you know, one of the things, I work a lot with foreign startups who want to enter the U.S. market. And one thing that I'll often just share with them up front is that American healthcare is a business. There are many individuals in the American healthcare system who are motivated by caring for patients, delivering fantastic quality care, you know, ensuring equitable care. And most of them are functioning within institutions that are highly bottom line conscious. And so what that means is that there are often misaligned financial incentives within American healthcare. We're dealing with fragmented care and delivery right? We don't actually have any sort of like universal healthcare uh, offering or anything that is sort of like, we, we have some people that are offering, I would say like more integrated um, provider solutions, but, but not a lot. And I think that that complicates our ability to understand when there is a positive impact because a positive impact for patients is not always a positive impact on a business's bottom line. Um, I will often do for clients um, what I, you know, what I market as like a payer strategy, right? How are you going to sell into a big payer? How are you going to sell into a large hospital system? Really what I'm doing for them is health economics and outcomes research modeling, although that's not so catchy and that doesn't speak to like the need that they are experiencing, which is we're a startup and we want to sell. One thing that happens more often than you would expect is I will build a model for them and I'll tell them, hey, your solution is highly cost savings if you want to target people who are financing care fee-for-service. However, (laughs) your solution is not cost savings and in fact, it's cost additive if you're going to provide this solution to someone doing like a capitated value-based care plan. And that's often like, you know, like a, a like a heads blown moment for them because they their assumption is, well, our solution is either good for patients and good for the healthcare system or it's not. And it's so much more complicated than that. And then, of course, you add on this additional layer, which is many of those purchasers of technology solutions are offering both fee for service care and value-based care plans, and like, you know, different reimbursement structures. And so it becomes very complicated to tease out both for the sellers of these solutions and for the purchasers of them, like what actually is effective, what it's actually going to move the bottom line for us, and what's going to really affect patients in a positive way. That was great, Curtis. Thank you. And Marie, how about you? I'll amplify, I think, what Susan and Curtis shared. You know, I think Um, it's really common for outsiders to look into the healthcare system and say like, this should be simple. You know, we have a patient, they're visiting a clinician. Why is this so hard? And yet I think we see time and time again that the complexity of healthcare um, regulatorily from, uh, you know, um, the local perspective from the different populations in different communities with very different needs 
um, different payer mixes, all of those factors contribute to really healthcare being local, right? Um, and I think what we've seen, particularly over the past two decades, is that um, the business models of healthcare organizations have become increasingly complicated. That, uh, as Curtis mentioned, you have organizations that are still predominantly in the fee-for-service world. You have organizations that have moved into new payment models, but often very different portfolios of flavors of payment models. Um, you see them pursuing technology solutions that might help with parts of those problems, but not a holistic set of them. Um, and so when you try to get in to say, hey, what's happening, right? The, the picture is so complex from a business model operation, from a technology perspective, um, and then critically um, to understand what population is this organization serving. And I think it's we've almost lost sight of um, how do we even crack this open, right? How do we even start to ask questions um, and it just becomes a, a picture that is very muddled. Um, and so I think that's part of what we need to grapple with as we start to think about how do we uh, assess ROI? Do we have a, a, a way to quickly say, where is this organization right now? Because um, every organization is going to have different needs as they try to um, implement technology, but then critically understand, is it providing value? That was fantastic from everyone. I don't really have a whole lot to add. I'm just going to call out that I think one of the big issues with why this is so difficult in healthcare is because these data technologies are relatively new in healthcare. So we don't have a whole lot of pre-existing data that we can compare to outcomes data. And there's not always alignment around what those outcomes should be that are being tracked. So I think just at a core fundamental level, the processes have not fully been developed and vetted in the industry to make this as easy as it might be in, say, a finance industry or a consumer industry. So why change? Why now? And why are we doing this initiative? I, I think when I think of this space, I think we've had two sectors that have grown up next to each other. We had um, the sector focused on new models of care, you know, sort of starting with ACA and various regulations that set forth alternative payment models. And we saw those move through the commercial sector and we saw those move through CMS. Um, and then in parallel and sometimes connected, we had technology regulation. And of course, there were big movements before that, but I think that set the stage for where we are right now. Um, and I think the reality is that technology, right, we didn't always know the use cases we were building for. We were figuring out population health and alternative payment models and what we needed to do to succeed in, in changed care and financial constructs at the same time as we were building new types of technology. Um, and so frankly, I think there was some amount of just like figuring out as an industry that we need to do. For those of us that have been in the trenches, we all know there's a lot of building the plane as we fly and those various analogies thrown around. Um, but I do think we're at a moment now where there's consensus about what we're trying to do, not just Yes, we want to improve quality and lower costs, but on a tactical level, what does that mean? What do we need in care mo models as, as basic building blocks to try to, to change the way we do things? And I think that emerging consensus paired with uh, maturation in the technology space and maturation in data sets um, that power some of these things, you know, the types of analytics we can do now relative to 20 years ago are so much different. Um, I think it allows us to come to the table to, to talk about evaluation in a way that we simply weren't able to 10 years ago. Um, there was important early work there, of course, um, but I think that we're much more mature as an industry. And it's um, part of the reason we can see the failures is because we have learned so much um, about what's working and what's not. Completely agree. Susan, you want to go next? Sure, I'm going to address the impact of the pandemic. It was a forcing function in a lot of different ways. It forced us, given 
access to care to change to new ways to deliver care, virtual care, hospital at home, all of those pieces that have been really driving this digital transformation. But couple that with the impact on the people delivering care in, in two respects. One is the clinician burnout. And in fact, the, 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 the quitting, the quiet quitting that has occurred across the industry has also required things like robotic process automation, et cetera. And then the third leg of the stool is the fact that healthcare delivery systems in particular are in deep, deep, deep financial trouble overall. So while they need this technology and they need to address staffing shortages, they don't have the bottom line to necessarily pay for it. And so they have to watch every single penny they spend. And that then says, we've got to really figure out what the high impact technology buys are. Yeah, completely with you there. Uh, the other thing that I would like to point out with the pandemic being a forcing function is driving more of uh, the v- value towards value-based care. So more of the economics have shifted in that direction as a lot of organizations realize that they, you know, if there's another big lockdown like that or another pandemic kind of situation, they can't rely on elective surgeries the way that they used to. They can't rely on some of those big, you know, finance drivers that they lost during the pandemic. So moving to value-based care would allow them to stay more solvent. And the ones that actually were more dependent on value-based care models over the pandemic fared better than their counterparts. And they were the ones that emerged from the lockdowns and from the shutdowns and everything in a much more stable financial position. Everyone's struggling, but they weren't struggling as much. All right, Curtis? I appreciate the trends that the three of you have identified, right? I, I think what I heard was we have some regulatory things that took place. There's some industry growth. I think Sue and John, both of you are right to highlight the effect that the pandemic has had on the bottom line of healthcare providers and healthcare organizations. I almost want to take us down to even a shorter time scale, which is what's like happened in the past year. You know, I don't, I, I'm reluctant to say post pandemic, but Um, in the new phase of the pandemic, let's say. And the thing that I'm seeing really drive a lot of decision-making, both with investors and healthcare companies, is that money isn't cheap anymore. So we were in a period where venture money was uh, flowing pretty freely. Um, We had really low interest rates. And that just uh, is no longer the case. And I think related to that, we, I've seen really over the past three years, let's say, I think this growing recognition that if you're a healthcare technology solution, you will not scale direct to consumer. There are always exceptions to this. There are some folks who are still really thinking about this and who are doing it. But I think overall, people are really recognizing that if they're going to make a, a health tech play in the United States, they're going to be selling B2B or, or B2 government. Um, and so I think that sort of coupled with the high cost of money at this moment is really putting a lot of pressure on investors and startups. And I think as Sue noted, the healthcare organizations to understand what am I getting from my money? So, you know, if I'm an investor, it's probably not enough for me to be able to say this is a fantastic technology with really sound science and great clinical outcomes. What I actually need to know is, can it save someone in the healthcare system money? Can it deliver on some sort of impact? Because if it doesn't, well, 
the entire conversation around pricing structure and cost model and, you know, go-to-market strategy is kind of a non-starter. Um, and I think startups themselves are, are becoming increasingly aware of that as well, either from their investors or as they start working to sell and really seeing that, you know, the, the clinical outcomes that they have, you know, usage data, um, you know, all of those traditional product metrics that we often see in digital solutions or software as a service. Yes, they are compelling. Yes, they are great. And they're not enough to get a buyer in most instances to say yes. Yeah. And double clicking on that a little bit, there's also the fact that a lot of these care organizations are also investors. You know, they're LPs with venture firms. They're their investment portfolios are massive. And the way that the markets have been hit by recent macroeconomic factors like uncertainty around the government's, you know, credit rating, uncertainty around bonds, SVB's collapse, all of that has contributed to significant devaluation of those portfolios. And that's also putting increased pressure on them because they don't have those cash reserves on hand anymore. It's much more tied up and, you know, they want to wait out these current market conditions to try to realize some of those returns that they had previously been seeing. All right. So I think that's pretty much everything that we wanted to go over today for this introductory podcast to kind of introduce our community to this health impact project. We will be pairing this episode with a introduction to our manifesto. We are releasing a series of thought pieces that we are come together to write that go into more depth around this topic. So please stay tuned for that. And if you want to follow along as we develop this content, be sure to give the Health Impact Project page on LinkedIn a follow. And once we get our website up, please go over there and subscribe to the newsletter that we'll be issuing there. Uh, what we'll be doing in addition to all that is inviting commentary from the community. We think that this is something that needs to have significant buy-in from outside of our cluster. We think that we're a good group to get this started and catalyze it, but that's what we see ourselves more of as catalysts and conveners of a conversation that really needs to happen to get a broader industry adoption and acceptance of a new model. So as part of that, we will be developing a framework as well. And eventually we do plan to convene an event probably in mid to late 2024. So if anybody would like to discuss that with us, please feel free to reach out and you can contact us. Um, I think we're all on LinkedIn and we're all pretty active on there. So you can contact us there. Uh, you can also reach us via other social channels. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today and we'll, you'll be hearing from us over the next couple of weeks.